What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Today, Daniel Rudiman shares what life as an athletic trainer in the Orthopedic Trauma Center is like. So Daniel is in Colorado, and we were just discussing some of the wildfires. And then also discussing the wildfires, we have Sandy Harris from the AT Corner podcast. So Sandy is joining me as a guest co-host. She told me she had a, an interest in emergency medicine, and I thought, man, talking with Daniel and orthopedic trauma and Sandy and uh, emergency medicine, they kind of fit really well together. So I didn't really tell you this, Sandy, but Sandy, I want to give you an opportunity to give your elevator pitch for the AT Corner podcast. So I didn't prep you for this. So I just want to see what it is off the cuff. Ready, Sandy? All right. What is the the elevator pitch for the AT Corner podcast? So AT Corner podcast, we actually started, um, my husband and I are fortunate enough to both be certified athletic trainers, which is super cool. So we have a lots of fun um, telling each other about our experience. And, you know, we're both very different clinicians, but um, we actually, it, our podcast is a little bit uh, twofold. So we have, we take every other episode is education or um, telling stories from athletic trainers and their experience. And, and we do different topics. So like when we're going to be doing like people's craziest mechanisms of injury that they've seen, um, or we're doing an episode on concussion stories. And then we also go into your traditional like interviews of athletic trainers and other healthcare professions that um, we come across in our profession. So it's been a lot of fun. All right, so that you can check out on uh, pretty much anywhere you catch podcasts. Um, and I know they have a Facebook group too, so AT Corner Podcast. So it kind of does the ATC, the corner, and I think their email is atcornerds at gmail, something like that. So uh, it got kind of got it all going on right there with AT Corner. So if you search them up or you can look in the show notes here and I'll have a link to that there. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash orthopedic trauma. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash orthopedic trauma. So Daniel, we are going to get right to you. And what does orthopedic trauma look like? So start off with um, where you are right now, and then we'll kind of talk about where that that goes. So Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's an honor to be a part of your podcast and to, to meet you and Sandy and kind of explore this a little bit. It's, it's kind of fun to be able to share these stories of kind of what I've been through and, and kind of what I do on a daily basis. Um, so that's what I really wanted to come on and kind of just keep sharing that information. So I'm in uh, Aurora, Colorado at the University of Colorado Hospital or UC Health, pretty big system here in Colorado. Uh, been with the uh, orthopedic trauma team for six years. Um, right now have three um, orthopedic trauma surgeons, uh, two PAs, two nurse practitioners, um, and then there's a accumulation of three athletic trainers with these these programs and then accumulates limb restoration and osseo integration as well. So it's a pretty complex um, kind of setup here that we have and then also have uh, anywhere between two and three medical assistants that kind of uh, help run the show. Um, but I've been doing athletic training for almost 20 years, uh, primarily in the physician practice setting. Um, obviously, I've covered a little bit of the PT setting and, and traditional high school setting. Um, and it's, it's something that I feel like it's, it's my purpose. It's, it's a fun, um, engaging, um, experience that I get to have with uh, my patients on a daily basis. All right. So you mentioned limb restoration. Um, I'm not quite sure. There was something else you said right after that, but limb, limb restoration, what is limb restoration? 
So limb restoration. So we have uh, the limb restoration program here. It's ran by Dr. Jason Stoneback, um, really works with uh, patients that have non-union uh, uh, of a fracture, um, infections. Um, we deal with amputations. Obviously, limb restoration, we want to try and prevent uh, patients from having amputations, but it's a very complex um, orthopedic uh, practice that he has going on here, very successful. And I kind of worked with him from kind of the the start of that program uh, six years ago and kind of handed it off to a couple other athletic trainers. And then the other program that they're really pushing here at UC Health with his uh, complex setting is osseo integration. And um, it's a pretty cool thing that, uh, that's that been going on uh, kind of across the country a little bit, um, and, but mainly across the globe. But it's, it's a very uh, interactive way to really kind of help with uh, patients deal with some complications with amputations. Daniel, you've been in athletic training for about 20 years. Uh, and then to tell me kind of, you said, I think you said six years is, is how you've been along, how long you've been in the orthopedic trauma. Is that right? Yeah. So I've been with the, the hospital setting here uh, for six years and it's, it's been really awesome. I was working with mostly sports medicine, um, ACLs, rotator cuffs, uh, things like that for a majority of my career. And I took a little stint off of the clinical side and became an office manager of a small private practice here in town. And kind of missed the clinical side of things and interacting a little bit more with our patients. So I knew the practice administrator here at the UC Health Hospital and um, she brought me on and kind of helped me kind of open the floodgates a little bit. Uh, I was the kind of the first athletic trainer hired at this hospital. And then we ended up hiring five other athletic trainers to help cover some of those other subspecialties. But yeah, orthopedic trauma is kind of been a, a, a godsend for me just because it's it helps me really connect with patients. Um, one thing that I really try to push with my patients, I don't want them to just come here and have a doctor's visit. I want to make sure that they have a good experience um, and uh, have a goal that I reach every single day um, that I've been working on for the last three years is just making sure that I impact somebody's life um, in, in some way, um, whether it's on the phone, face-to-face, -face, through an email, whatever. So I'd really try to connect and build relationships with my patients because we definitely see them for a long time. You said you were the first one hired as an athletic trainer? At this hospital, they've been a ha they've had a couple of athletic trainers um, operating, I think, in, on a little bit of a different role. Um, but I was brought in and kind of was the pilot athletic trainer for this hospital setting. And um, I worked with orthopedic trauma, hand, um, foot and ankle. Um, and so to me, it was kind of like, let me kind of show the skill set of what an athletic trainer can do in this setting. And then it kind of just exploded and it's been kind of going since. So um, we've, we have quite a few athletic trainers now we've merged with some other clinics. Um, so the ATC, um, or the athletic trainers that are kind of in this setting are, are getting better and better and better. We're getting higher volume. We have some openings right now for athletic trainers. So, um, we still try to continue to promote what we do, how successful we are here and how athletic trainers can play a pivotal role in the success of their uh, clinics. Was it difficult at first when you were the sole athletic trainer or did they kind of already know what your role and scope was? Not really, because uh, they didn't really know what uh, what my roles could be. Um, and so my, my approach to them is not saying, hey, here's what I can do for your practice. It's what can I do for you? What do you need in your practice? 
Um, and that's kind of how I sit back. I relax, kind of uh, see what's going on, how they interact with patients. I'm a true believer of, you know, saying the same things that my doctors say. So there's that continuity of care, no matter who they're talking to, they're going to hear the same information. Um, but it was, it was kind of, you know, a little bit of a challenge working with some different subspecialties and different physicians that really hadn't had that uh, connection with an athletic trainer before, but I have a little piece of that and uh, it's kind of grown since then. So I think it's, you know, I was kind of blessed to have that kind of put on my shoulders by the practice administrator to kind of lead that and kind of must've done something. What was the transition like from the traditional setting? That takes me back to when I was in Tennessee. And I mean, I'm like 2002 when I kind of just got started and working with a physician there and it was just really shadowing and kind of getting a sense for what can, what kind of role can we play in that? And at that time, I didn't know um, how pivotal we could be with answering questions, um, patient care. And that's really what I kind of thrive off of with the athletic trainers is we have a team approach here at the hospital. And it's that's what athletic trainers do. We operate as a team. So it's getting my medical assistant to be able to communicate the same as I do or vice versa and getting nursing uh, staff to kind of see that same vision. So it's really kind of involved over the years to really involve a team approach to this. It's not just the athletic trainer can do anything and everything. It's how can we complement other subspecial these other settings and um, especially like with performing arts, it's all a team approach to that. It's not just the athletic trainer's involvement. And so I really try to get to know my team. And I think that was the the toughest transition is there's turnover uh, in staff and it's just a mad, you know, trying to work as congruently, congruently as we can to be able to say, hey, we're going to keep this party going. How do we do that? And it's building relationships, not with our patients, but with our staff. So I think that was probably the toughest thing is, getting to know everybody and what everybody's roles can be. Yeah, I can see how um, it's, it can be difficult to, if you don't know what someone does, how can you pass along care? Yeah, but it's, it's the involvement of, of everybody and it's our leadership really supports athletic trainers here. Um, we've had a little bit of turnover in leadership, but everybody has kind of gotten on board and really supportive um, from directorship all the way down to practice administrators, our nurse managers, our, our staff supervisors. So I think that's an important aspect of this with ever with any role. So when I was at the, uh, the high school setting, it was get the athletic director, you know, to understand what kind of role I can play, how successful we can be and making sure that we're communicating on the same level. And it's communicating with coaches at the traditional setting, communicating with coaches at the collegiate setting, communicating with, you know, uh, with the, the leadership and the people that are in charge with performing arts, the military setting, it's all about making sure we're all kind of on the same page and we have the same goals in mind. So it's, it's pretty cool with regards to that. And when new staff come on, it's a, it's a different challenge. Like how can we still have the same success, if not better success with a new staff member? Did you have a role in negotiating to bring on more athletic trainers? So I think being the pilot, it was kind of interesting because, you know, I'd had a relationship with the practice administrator for several years. And so she knew what athletic trainers could bring to this setting. And she really kind of helped steer that ship 
um, towards these other professions and had me kind of do some work with them. And, and so I think they just got a little taste of it and it was just like, Hey, how can I involve that? Um, and kind of continue to promote that, you know, other settings like oncology, um, are kind of inquiring like, Hey, how can you help with this type of setting? And there's athletic trainers out there that work in pediatric oncology that are super successful to be able to have that relation with, uh, kids and parents and that empathy side. And so to me, that was, that was the thing is, is like, maybe I had this role of empathy. Maybe I had this personality that was kind of a, you know, a catch and they wanted to have a little piece of that. So we kept hiring athletic trainers. And I think it's a matter of just finding that perfect match. That's going to continue to grow. So you're in the orthopedic trauma center right now. So it's orthopedic trauma. Yeah. And it's a part of orthopedic in hand here at the hospital. Um, but yeah, my, my sole position is going to be athletic trainer with the orthopedic trauma center. Did you, were you in any other centers before you went to orthopedic trauma? So I was an office manager um, at a private practice here, um, learned a lot of different roles with regards to that specific, like insurance, education, hiring, firing, uh, different legalities, um, really kind of controlling DME, having a grip on kind of how that whole system works. Uh, but I'd worked at other small private clinics um, <clears throat> in Texas. Um, I did my athletic training fellowship at the Stem and Hawkins Clinic um, in Vail, Colorado. And uh, so that's, a, you know, another private clinic. So most of the time it's been a private clinic, but I did work at a hospital setting in New Hampshire, part of the Dartmouth-Hitchcock system over there. Did you say fellowship? Yeah, so I did an athletic training fellowship. Um, in uh, 2007 at the Stemmon Hawkins Clinic up in Vail, Colorado. What made you want to go into that? I, I, you know, it kind of goes back to my original story of kind of how I evolved as an athletic trainer. And I've only taken two athletic training classes um, in my whole career. It's, I didn't go to an accredited athletic training program. <clears throat> Mine was the practicum route. So I did 1800 hours in a year and a half. Um, thought I knew everything, took the test way too many times, um, kind of a humbling experience to not know that stuff, but kept building myself up and working with a lot of great mentors. And um, one of my mentors was a guy that I met in New Hampshire. He was the actual director of the athletic training fellowship in Stedman. Hawkins uh, came out to New Hampshire and um, kind of really helped steer that ship and kind of geared me towards that. So he helped me develop a post-operative program there, um, really develop our outreach program, but really kind of built the skills up of what I needed to do to be able to help be a successful athletic trainer in the clinical setting. And so he kind of opened that door for me, got an interview and the rest is history. So I was, I was very luckily and lucky and blessed to, to kind of have that kind of mentorship. So you mentioned the traditional or the the old school route. That's what I did too. The internship, we did the yeah. 1500 hours and, and again, now everything is masters, you know, it's a, it's not no longer an entry level. Like here in Texas, we can still do the license entry level. You don't have to have the BOC, that kind of thing. And so it Correct. still falls under that. But for the most part, having done that route and you've done the fellowship and you see where you are and you're seeing current or new athletic trainers, what's your real quick take on the internship route versus the master's athletic training? Well, I mean, obviously, I think the, the curriculum for the master's program is much more detailed. I mean, there's things that they're doing now that, I mean, that I probably haven't even touched at this point in my career. Um, so they're they're very, very specific, um, goal-oriented, um, curriculum-based. 
Um, Katie's got a really good grip on that, um, those standards. So it's really cool to kind of see those routes. Whereas for me, I went to a school that didn't, I, I was an architect major uh, when I went to grad school, went to undergrad and decided that to take this uh, care and prevention of athletic training injuries and or care and prevention of athletic injuries. And here I am two classes down and I'm like, all right, I'll take the test. And <laughs> so not a huge fan of that, probably that practicum route, but I did get some really cool experiences working with different, you know, professions, uh, CSCS is massage therapist. That was a part of the practicum route. You kind of had to shadow some other, uh, professionals. Uh, so I got to see that, but realistically, like I really got to push the, uh, the master's route instead of the, the practicum route. But again, I wouldn't be here today without the experiences that I had. So I gotcha. Right. So Sandy, I'm going to go ahead and right here. I don't know where you're going. Like I said, I kind of interrupted there, but, um, so we, we've talked a lot about how you got here and we'll probably come back to that some more, but, um, what does a normal day, week, month look like in the orthopedic trauma center? So my Monday, um, I'm, it's actually really cool. I work four tents, so I'm off on Tuesdays. Um, normal, typical day is a seven to five day. And so I have a trauma attending surgery, uh, clinic, uh, tendon surgery clinic uh, on Mondays. And, you know, we have 40 patients on those days and it's a seven to two clinic day, kind of just all smashed into that little time frame, And, uh, it's just kind of go, go, go busy. Um, which I like, I like that steady flow, that routine. Um, and I work really well with my medical assistant and we just kind of communicate. We, we kind of have a system down and, it's about communicating with our patients, communicating with our doctors. I'm ordering, uh, bring the patient back, ordering x-rays, taking a brief history. I don't do physical exams. Um, haven't done one in many years um, because it's an educational institution here. So I have PAs, fourth year medical uh, residents, first year med residents, med students um, that all kind of need that education too. So I just kind of prime the patient for what to expect in that visit. Um, let them kind of do their visit and then go in and answer any other questions, fill out paperwork, take care of things, schedule the next appointment, um, and help kind of plan that next adventure. So CTs, MRIs, whatever uh, else is next, um, order physical therapy, develop a home exercise program. So a lot of the skills that athletic trainers have for any setting, they're, they're utilized in this setting as well. Um, but I think, you know, you get to see pretty much the injury as it comes in um, and as they kind of transition through their rehab, the surgeries and kind of get to see them walk out. So one of the big milestones for me is seeing patients come in in wheelchairs and crutches and walkers and then the next visit they're walking in. And so it's just that progression of, of healing and rehab. That's, it's pretty awesome. Um, off on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, kind of my only half day of admin. And so I get a lot of paperwork done at that time. And then it's clinic the, the rest of the week. And uh, so this week, you know, this, you know, today I have a tandem clinic. So I have a PA clinic and a, an attending clinic going on at the same time. And then tomorrow, kind of the same thing. So pretty high volume. Um, and what's interesting with, with COVID, uh, trauma doesn't stop. So uh, we only really is realistically missed two days of uh, clinic um, throughout this whole process. Um, really been kind of strong with kind of how where our precautions are and have uh, been very successful here at the hospital. Um, but yeah, trauma doesn't stop. So we kept having clinic. You said that you helped develop home exercise programs. Do you work alongside physical therapists for that? Yeah. 
Yeah, so they'll send a lot of times communication will be either through a medical, the electronic medical record system. We use Epic here. Um, so they'll send messages through there. And I have some pretty good relationships with them. And so I think that's that's a big part of what I stand for with, with the position that I have. I really want to have good relationships with my x-ray techs, um, physical therapists, the PAs, the nurse practitioners, the nurses, the front desk staff. Um, and so my personality is, is I like to joke, I like to have a good time, be positive, um, but really kind of have that open line of communication. If I see a PT walking down and she needs me, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, take care of the questions that she has um, and kind of be able, again, it's, it's all, we're here to take care of our patients. That's part of our mission and values here is to, to in, impact patients' um, healthcare. So to me, that's, it's a huge part of being successful as a team is, is having that whole surrounding, you know, kind of have an understanding. So I touch base with my x-ray tech every single day. Hey, here's what's coming in today. Give her a schedule and kind of lay out what the day looks like. But yeah, I don't definitely don't have a problem running down to uh, physical therapy and asking for some, some guidance on some home exercise programs. What kinds of injuries and medical conditions are you seeing are they more your uh, what you have seen in the traditional setting? Are you seeing some stuff beyond what you've seen in the traditional setting? Definitely beyond. Um, so athletic training in this setting is, you know, in the, in the traditional setting, you'd see a lot of sports injuries, right? You know, ankle sprains, ACLs, shoulder sprains, AC separations. Um, what I see are tip plateau fractures. So we in the trauma uh, field pretty much see everything that's not spine related, not wrist or hand related, um, but tip plateaus, um, proximal humerus fractures, any long bone we're going to take care of. Um, had a night, you know, basically gunshot wounds, um, unfortunately failed suicide attempts, people jumping off bridges, and you can kind of see the mechanism of injury, the bilateral cock fractures with a pelvic fracture kind of gives you the story. Um, but you can kind of see different patterns. And that's what I really try to empower to a lot of the students that I kind of work with is look at the x-ray, understand what you're looking at, but then start to understand how those, how those fractures occurred and then how are we going to treat those fractures? And, uh, so we see quite a few, uh, drastic things, motorcycle accidents, car accidents, auto ped injuries to, um, the elderly fallen on a ground, just a ground level fall and fracturing their hips. Um, so we'll do hemiarthroplasty, so partial hip replacements. We don't do total hip replacements, uh, but a lot of um, femoral neck injuries uh, to pelvic injuries and some really cool surgical techniques um, that I've never seen before I get to be a, a part of. So, um, You said you're part of surgery? So I, I have not seen, I used to scrub in when I was a part of a sports medicine team, but here there's just so many people involved that I don't get a chance to be a part of the surgery, but I help take care of almost all of the post-operative patients. All right. So you've been part of secondary school. You've been part of college athletics. You've been part of the private practice setting. You've been, you've been in a university setting with the, with your current job. So tell me some of the things that you like about each of those settings and then why you've chosen orthopedic trauma setting? So, I, I mean, realistically, I think, you know, starting out with the uh, high school setting in Tennessee, it was a private high school, uh, kind of scared out of my mind to kind of be out on my own and, and kind of do all that stuff, make those decisions, send those patients for referrals, PTs. Um, but it was, it was kind of, a, you know, 
that's that's kind of how I learned. And you had some difficult difficult coaches didn't understand my role. Kind of kind of slowly um, built that relation back up. Dealing with parents, communicating with parents effectively to be able to say, "Hey, here's how your son or daughter's um, doing. Here's the injury they have. Here's the plan of care." Um, to the college setting. And, and when I was in Lubbock, I was the liaison to Lubbock Sports Medicine and uh, Texas Tech Athletics. And so I got to set up injury clinics for the football athletes on Wednesdays and then on Sunday afternoons after their Saturday competitions. Um, so I got to be a part of that. And again, it's just fun to be able to be um, a part of athletes, their injuries, communicating with the team to be able to kind of say, okay, how are we going to handle and manage these things, building relationships um, to the private practice where it's Dr. Ran. And so there's a lot of directives, a lot of, um, you know, patients and doctors have to reach, reach certain numbers. And as you start to evolve as athletic trainers, you have to start to understand the bigger picture of the business side of things versus just treating the, uh, the patients and the athletes. Um, and then coming over to the hospital side, you know, third-party reimbursement's not not huge here, so we can't bill for certain services, um, whereas private setting, you can. So there's different things, um, but again, it's all coming down to the patient care, the athlete care, communicating with patients. I always tell my students, like, if you can communicate with a doctor, you know, you can share the information. I think communicating with mom and dad is going to be a lot easier, and you just have that confidence to be able to have that information, to be able to share it. So, to me, it's, it's, it's been a fun uh, process to watch how I've evolved over the years and, and how it's, how much easier it is to be able to talk to people, have a good time, joke, even when there's a serious injury going on, just to be able to lighten the mood a little bit. So you mentioned your schedule. Why, why is Tuesday your off day? It seems like normally it'd be like a Monday or a Friday. So I used to, uh, when I first started this, that was one of the key things was like, man, it's, having a 410 shift, that's pretty sweet. There's not too many athletic trainers across the country or even across the world that have that kind of a shift uh, uh, opportunity. So that's one thing I value my day off um, pretty valuable. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I can get a lot done, take care of myself, uh, get some things done for my kids. Uh, so it's, it's pretty powerful for that with regards to, you know, Tuesday. So I did, when I first started, I had Wednesdays off. I had a, we didn't have a clinic on Wednesday when we first started this. Um, and so that's the day that I decided to take off. And then I transitioned to Fridays. Um, we had again, again, kind of transitioned. We did have a Friday clinic. We had some staff changes, so we moved that. And uh, our limb restoration and OI team were kind of in a, in a bind of is like, okay, we've got a lot of things going on. We just don't have the manpower to get a lot of these things done. So I just kind of proposed to him and I was just like, Hey, listen, you know, I don't need my Fridays off. If I come in on Tuesday, there's a Tuesday clinic, you know, if I take Tuesdays off instead of Fridays, like if I switch that up a little bit, will that help you guys out? And so I just kind of took one for the team and kind of just switched things a little bit and kind of, you know, we didn't have to hire an extra person by me switching a day off, freed up somebody to be able to, work a little bit more admin related on a Friday. And to be honest with you, yeah, it's a little tough coming in on Monday, taking a break and then having another three days, but um, I wouldn't change it right now. It's actually pretty cool. We just talked about what you do love. Are there any parts that you don't love about your job? I think as things transition, you know, it's, it's building relationships and how to, how to keep those relationships going. And, you know, there's, there've been some, you know, times where it hasn't been the easiest to communicate with physicians, um, work-life balance was always a struggle. And I really, I really don't think that that really hit me until probably about four or five years ago, um, of how important work-life balance really is. And so 
again, I value that day off to be able to take care of myself, to get things done that I just don't have time during the week. Um, so I think, you know, as we start to navigate, and I think that's one thing that I really push with my students is, you know, when you're not here, go take care of yourself, do the things that you need to do. Don't take work home with you. I did that for a majority of my career. I worked long hours um, because I thought I needed to, because I thought that's what was expected of me. But having that work-life balance transition to where I'm at right now, my evaluations are the best that they have been. I'm a much happier person, much more positive. Um, to, but when I leave here, I don't take work home with me. And so it's kind of nice to be able to make that transition. But, you know, there's certain certain personalities out there that sometimes you clash. And, and it's just kind of, again, navigating that a little bit and learning to to adapt and and controlling how you can react to situations. Sandy, let me ask you something while we have Daniel here. He's talking about life balance. Um, what does that look like for you as a new young professional? I think you have, you said you've been certified for one, maybe two years. What does that look like for you right now? Randy and I always joke about this because we're both certified athletic trainers. So we go to work as a certified athletic trainer. We come home to certified athletic trainers and now we have an athletic training podcast. So really where is that work-life balance? So um, for me, it is definitely knowing um, as I go into what I'm looking into going into the community college setting, because I know that um, at the community college setting, I can still have my athletic training hours, but they're a little bit, the hours are more protected. Um, and I know that I'm still doing what I love at work and then coming home. Um, I know that with um, Randy and I always make sure that we have stuff outside of athletic training that we look forward to. So we make sure like we have a German shepherd that we love. And um, so just coming home and, you know, she's like our dog child. So, you know, doing things for her, stuff that takes life off uh, your mind off of athletic training, which is pretty much all the time for us. Do you find it it's kind of a tough transition to do that, to come home? And do you have the, an opportunity to decompress on your way home? So when you get home, you don't have work on your mind, per se? So where we we actually just moved, um, we moved two hours away from home and then we just moved uh, just back to our home, uh, home county. So um, where we were working previously, our commutes were at least an hour, which the drive was beautiful. We were living in the mountains and we loved it, but it was, you know, I, I've never been a huge commuter. Um, Randy always has been, but um it was actually nice that mountain drive just on our way home. It was a nice way to decompress, even though it was long, it was a nice way to transition from work back home. Yeah. That's what I love. I love my drive home to listen to music, podcasts, motivational talks, kind of catch up with people. Um, that's kind of my opportunity to be able to do that. Cause when I get home, it's like, you still have life to do at home. And it's like, how do you, how do you balance all that? How do you get to bed on time? How do you wake up on time? Um, but it's, you know, to me, it's, that's one of the the fun things is being that it's orthopedic trauma. I don't know what I'm going to receive on a daily basis. I kind of have an idea, but you really don't know until they show up. Um, so that's the exciting part. I get a, I wake up and I'm excited to go for the day. Um, but it's, it's kind of nice on Monday. I get to call home. I can stay up a little bit later cause Tuesday I don't have to work. So it's kind of a nice little balance and that day off again, it provides a lot of, a lot of time for myself. 
for your setting when I know like in the traditional setting we have let's say we're open until six but you know if someone walks in right before six and you take them and and you're working with them you might get out a lot later than you anticipated does that happen a lot with you guys or usually like let's say you get off at 6 p.m is that usually pretty true so, I mean, most of the clinics, like, especially for, for my trauma clinics, it's either we're our last patient scheduled at two 30 or three 30. So we have a little bit of that grace period before five, uh, to be able to get some things done. Um, if I'm not picking up my girls after school and stuff like that, then I'll stay a little bit later to kind of make sure that I, I have my hours. Um, so there are days where like last night I left at six 30. Um, there's certain days I'll leave at five or four 30. Um, it just kind of depends on the day, the nature of, of kind of where triages are at phone calls are at messages are at and, and stuff like that. And with COVID here, it was kind of interesting. I've been mostly salary. I've been salary most of my career, 99% of it. And, uh, as of two months ago, they did change me to hourly. So I definitely have to keep an eye on kind of when I get here uh, and when I leave and, and keep track of those hours. But uh, that allows me that if I do stay late and work a little bit extra on certain days, then on Friday I can leave early. So again, a little bit of balance with that. So uh, kind of along those lines, is there, without too much specific details, is that normal for an AT in the physician practice to be hourly? I would think like, it would, I would imagine it'd be salary, but is that, normal and then why do they make that switch it was it was interesting because you know again most all of my career it's been salary and no one wanted to pay us hourlies because you know if, consider you know working in the high school setting there's some of us that work 80 to 100 hours a week uh, to be able to get things done and no one <laughs> no business wants to, to really pay that overtime aspect um the reason there was that switch was covid um and so we i was furloughed 20 percent um which accumulated to two days and two weeks off of, um, I think back in um, April or May. And then in May, they made the decision that come July or August, you're going to get furloughed again. Um, so plan on taking some time off. So I had just happened to uh, plan some time off. But again, with trauma, our clinics were pretty steady. I mean, we had some days where we only had seven patients all day um, when people just didn't want to come to the hospital. Uh, but as we started to pick up volume in clinics, that's when they were going to consider furloughing more staff. And in order to be able to keep us on staff in the sense of not being furloughed, they made the decision to switch us to hourly because all salaried employees were being furloughed. And our doctors kind of were like, nope, don't take my staff away from us. So then they made that switch to hourly. So it's been probably two months of uh, hourly. It's just kind of interesting because, yeah, you got to keep track of your time when you talk clock in. There's certain ways to strategize all that stuff, too. Uh, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, because obviously here at the high school, we don't the only time we've had to watch our time was, the, like I said, the first four weeks of this year, whenever there's no students. You, OK, well, you're supposed to be here for eight hours or whatever. But even at that, if I'm here 10 hours on Tuesday, well, then I'm going to leave two hours earlier or four hours yeah. earlier or whatever it is. Um so it's interesting. I just don't have as much flexibility to to do that. And that's one thing I really liked about the high school I worked at in, in New Hampshire. It was kind of like, if you work over, we owe you. If you work under, you owe us. And that was kind of the relationship we had for the for the years that I was there. And it helps build continuity, uh, you know, good relationships with the the company and the staff and, and your supervisors. 
Um, if you keep a good grip on that, but um, again, athletic trainers, we need to have time management skills as well. All right. And so again, as we have Sandy here, she's married to an athletic trainer, having a family with two athletic trainers and you currently, you are a father, you got, you got two girls and you see a lot of female athletic trainers transition out of athletic training due to raising a family, right? So is this something that you think is a good fit for um, a, a family, the physician practice? Do you think this is like a good possibility for um, an athletic trainer who wants to be highly involved with their family, things like that? I think, you know, that was, that was one of the big switches for me um, being in this setting was I don't have to work weekends. I'm not traveling. Um, and having Fridays off, it allowed me to have the opportunity to travel. You know, I could leave a Thursday night and go somewhere and leave Friday, come back on Monday morning, go right to work. Um, so there was a lot of flexibility. I'm a divorcee, um, but I co-parent, my co-parent and I, I mean, we, we have the, the kind of one of the best relationships I could ask for. We're, we're better friends now that we were when we were married and the communication is just on point. And that allows for us to have some flexibility with our kiddos. And when I have to pick them up from school, it's, I leave at four 30. So I manage that side of things when I need to leave to get, take, take care of my kids. I'm done. I go, um, when I don't have to get my kids then I'll stay late and make up that time. I think, again, having that work-life balance, and again, it just really kind of just clicked into me about four or five years ago, like, oh, wow, this this is truly important. Um, I don't want to miss stuff. Um, I'm going to miss stuff at some point. Um, you know, I've missed some dentist appointments. I've missed some parent-teacher conferences. Now things are on, you know, virtual, so it's a lot easier. But I think as long as you have a good idea of kind of how to manage that time and what it is that you can do to take care of yourself, whether you're a mother or a father, if you're just a parent in general, I think there's definitely opportunities to be super successful at your work and at being a parent, as long as you plan accordingly. Um, and that's, I think that takes time. I think that takes a lot of practice, a lot of, you know, failures, but you know, uh, whatever works for that individual. Right, and you mentioned the relationships, there's constant relationship. And then obviously athletic trainers in the secondary setting, we know, you know, I've got this kid, she's been with me freshman, sophomore, junior, now she's a senior, now she has an injury. And so I've been taking care of her. And now like we have this, I guess, longstanding, almost daily relationship. Um, and then you said you'll see a, a patient come in on the wheelchair and then the next time they're walking, those kind of things. So talk to me a little bit about some of the solid relationships that you've been able to form with patients, even in the physician practice setting. So it was interesting and it's kind of ironic because one of my favorite, literally one of my favorite patients, uh, probably not a good thing to say that, but that, it's one of my favorite patients came in yesterday and to see one of the other uh, physicians. So I'll do some talks across the country with um, other athletic training programs to kind of promote this kind of unique orthopedic trauma uh, setting that I'm in. Um, but he's, I told him yesterday, I'm like, dude, you were kind of the the focus of my talks. You, you start off my talk and I end with you. Um, he was in a horrific accident five years ago, 17 different fractures. Um, I was there the day that he ended up putting, he was actually able to stand for the first time. And and we actually talked and laughed about it yesterday. He's like, yeah, I told you not to let go and you didn't let go. Um, and so that picture is a part of my talk. And it's uh, to me, it's like, that's kind of one of my pivotal moments of like having a good established trusting relationship with your patients. Like he trusted me to hold him up for the first time, being able to put weight on his legs when he hadn't walked, he hadn't been putting weight on it for almost three months. So 
seeing him yesterday, it was a good opportunity to, to be able to kind of just catch up his, he's got two girls and one of his, his little baby who's now five was in the bad car accident and his wife was in the, the bad car accident and everybody's okay. And it's just kind of cool to see him come, come back. He obviously, if he's coming back, he's still got some issues going on, which we knew about, but having a good solid relationship to see him walking down the hall and he turned around and say, I want to see you. And, and, uh, can't hug right now, but if we could, we'd be hugging each other, but it's, it's just a good relationship. But that's, that's what I look for is to, to see those patients come in. And, you know, I saw a patient yesterday, she was like, Oh my gosh, I saw you three months ago. You didn't have tattoos and now you have tattoos. And they, they noticed those things about it. And that's, that's what I'm saying is like, no matter what setting you're in, you're in the performing arts, you're in the high school setting, you can develop those relationships, not only with the athletes, but also the coaches and the parents. And I just think that makes work, work-life balance so much easier. But yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely take pride in having a, a, a personality to be able to attract some good relationships with my patients. And then, so in the physician practice and the clinical setting, you usually would, I would think, and working with closely with physical therapy, you'd probably have a different budget than we would here at the high school. And so some of the cool tools, you know, we got like the complex boots or the complex um, units for the, mus- the muscle firing or the Mark Pro for that, that kind of thing. So what are some of the cool tools that you've seen working in the physician practice setting? So I don't really have tools. Um, so what I can relate to are the different types of surgeries and the different type of procedures that are that are done with regards to that. So obviously, if if you're around, you know, I think what everybody kind of has an idea if you're around athletics right now is the quarterback for the Washington Redskins who had that terrific, uh, horrific accident uh, fracture last year and was in one of those uh, ring fixators. We call them Taylor spatial frames. Um, those are the things that I get to, I used to, when I was with limb restoration, I dealt with those on a daily basis and, um, they can really kind of, when they're on your leg, they can help lengthen the leg, shorten the leg, work on torsion, twisting, rotation, tilting, um, to try and get that weight bearing access, that alignment, uh, in a better position. Um, there's certain types of procedures of the pelvis where you can have an external fixator of the pelvis, meaning the pins are hanging out you know, exposed around your pelvis. Well, one of my surgeons does an infix, an interior fixation. So there's a rod going across your pelvis just inside inside your skin. Um, and to be able to communicate with patients on how they're going to, how they're going to progress through their rehab with this pin inside them. Um, and just the different ways that our trauma surgeons kind of fix things. Uh, we've actually had this kind of weird, um, number of scapula fractures coming in. And for a majority of my career, I've probably seen one or two. And for this last two or three weeks, I've seen five or six and three of them have been surgical. And I being in this profession, as long as I haven't, haven't seen a scapula, you know, fixation before and how to put a plate on a scapula and how to have the bone purchase to be able to do that. Um, and there's company with a clavicle fracture associated with it most of the time. So it's pretty cool to see my trauma surgeons, I tell them, you know, we deal with woodworking, we deal with puzzles, and they're they're experts at putting puzzle pieces back together. Um, so those are the cool tools for me. Um, we deal with DME and stuff like that, which there's not a whole lot of excitement with some of these braces because they've been around for a long time. But those are my cool tools is to to see those types of surgeries and and how I can help patients through them. Sandy, have you been in in surgery observations at all? I've done a few. So what are some of the ones that you've seen? 
We had a lower leg specialist and a foot ankle specialist at a nearby surgery center that I've gotten to observe, but I've seen mostly ACL and rotator cuff. Yeah, I think the first one that I saw was a clavicle fracture where they put the, the metal plate there on the clavicle. And, you know, I, I thought before maybe it'd be cool to work in the physician practice, that kind of thing. But if you go into surgery, that's really tough because you, you need to smell that burning flesh. It, it's <laughs> yeah. it's tough. It's tough to handle. I always always have to walk out. Every time I go to a surgery, I go in there knowing, okay, I'm, I'm going to go in there and then I have to walk out, catch my breath, come back in. Right. I may have to sit down or lean against the wall just because I don't know something about it, but it's really cool because I've seen clavicles or ACL or MPFL. And um, just recently, my father-in-law had his knee replaced and the doctor's like, you can come. It's pretty gruesome and bloody and long. And I know you get kind of weak. So I was like, no, I'm going to go ahead and skip out on this one. (laughs) But it was pretty cool to know that he was going to allow me to. And I could have, uh, you know, like you say, get to see that stuff. But yeah, I don't think I would have done too well. I, you know, I, I got a couple of things with that. So I, I having two girls, obviously like tubes in their ears and stuff. And I thought I was going to be, you know, the strong dad and take my daughter back to surgery for her first surgery on her tubes and laying her on the table and they're giving her gas and she's screaming for your name. That's not the easiest thing. So I don't advise people going and watching their siblings, kids, moms and dads have surgeries. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget the very first surgery that I ever watched. And it was non-orthopedic and it was in Tennessee. And one of the uh, football players, he was one of our kickers. His dad was a urologist and he was, he saw me in the surgery center. I was getting ready to watch a total hip. That was my first orthopedic surgery that I got to uh, observe. Um, and that's pretty cool in itself to see the hip get dislocated manually. Um, but the first surgery I saw was a bladder resection. And here I am, the guy's, you know, in his mid seventies, his head's between my legs. I'm standing right near anesthesia and then the whole, the whole abdomen's open and the bladder's been taken out. And it's, it's interesting to kind of see how things, you know, you think you have an idea what an intestine looks like until you actually see it. And when he was putting everything back in, I was like, dude, like, do you need to like have a map of where everything goes? And he's like, no, you put it back and the body will naturally do its thing to get it back where it needs to go. And um, so my first surgery, I'll always remember as a bladder resection. And uh, to me, you know, orthopedic wise, um, that's, uh, you know, I've been a part of meniscus repairs, ACLs, rotator cuffs, um, got to be able to hold an instrument and kind of feel what a, you know, what the acromion feels like when you're actually burring it. It's it's actually a pretty cool experience to be a part of that. And then to, to be able to suture up incisions. Um, it, it's, it's pretty cool. And I, I got, that was one of my goals. I wanted to be able to be able to scrub in, got to be able to scrub in on those surgeries. And I think when you're in surgery, you get to have a different appreciation for, you get to see what the meniscus really looks like. You get to see what the rotator cuff really looks like, what an ACL graft being prepared looks like. And, um, I always encourage my students, you know, I haven't seen a trauma surgery since I've been here. Um, I can picture them in my mind, uh, but why always every student that I have that comes and shadows me for a clinical immersion, they'll, uh, they'll get to have an opportunity to go and watch the trauma surgery and kind of the trauma surgery of their choice. It could be as, you know, elementary as a Achilles repair to a, you know, a, a pubic symphysis, um, open reduction, internal fixation to, uh, open pylon fracture. So we get to see quite a few things and I'll open the doors to as many people as I can to come and shadow us and, and get an experience.
So you, you mentioned that you've done talks across the country. You've done, you're working with Katie, you're working with uh, Copa. And so I know I listened to Joel and his podcast with Mark. Uh, and he said that since he's teaching, he feels like what he, and he's not doing athletic training at all. He feels like that the best thing he can do is serve full time. That sounds kind of like what you're doing. You know, you're, you're not doing all the extra hours you're doing your 40 hours, but then you're being involved elsewhere. So if someone wants to catch one of those talks or find out more about the physician practice setting, what's some of the best resources, some of the ways, some of the places you might point them. So you guys, I, I attached my email to your, to your notes. So you guys can definitely reach out to me, to my email. Um, and I think, you know, what I try to encourage people to do is, is, is to be able to give back. And because of where I started in athletic training and I kind of fell to the bottom, not being prepared for what I thought was, I was prepared for. And the people that helped build me up, my mentors, um, um, so that's, that's my, my whole philosophy is to be able to give back. So that's why I think a lot of our, you know, athletic training, we build off of everything that we do based off our relationships. It's who, you know, and so going across the country, it's, it's about knowing program directors, being a part of the athletic trainer and physician practice society and going to those meetings and networking, um, and people understanding like, oh, you work in trauma. What does that mean? And so I'm like, well, hey, if you want, I'll do a talk for your students and kind of just open their eyes a little bit, because I don't think a whole lot of athletic trainers understand that there's a ton of different opportunities out there, not just high school, not just college, performing arts, military, industrial. You know, I was fortunate I got to have a little bit of taste of the industrial setting in Tennessee, and it's it's pretty cool. So there's different opportunities out there. And I just want to be able to say, Hey, my door's open. If you want to come in and see what this world's like, you know, reach out to me. Um, I'm doing some talks in Indiana for a couple of places coming up. Um, I've been in Kentucky. I've done some talks for Boston university. Uh, and then I'll do the local ones for Colorado athletic trainer society, Rocky mountain athletic trainer society, and just kind of continue to promote what this different setting looks like. Um, and then being with COPA committee on practice advancement and being a part of the physician practice society, you know, portion of that, uh, we have a good group of people that do that. So I think just getting involved, asking questions. And I think that's what I really want to continue to push our, our young athletic trainers to do is just to ask questions. So somebody like me, I'm almost 40, I'm 39. This is my 17th year working in the high school. I want to transition to industrial setting or physician practice setting uh, so I, that I can create more life balance, but I, I'm afraid to make that jump because this is some, this is what I know that, you know, obviously I have a wife and four, four, three kids and a foster baby. So four kids, what would you say to me if I'm wanting to, but afraid to make that jump? I think reach out to your resources. So when it comes to industrial, a lot of physical therapists may have connections to industries, industries that kind of have that need. They're seeing a lot of uh, injuries coming from those. Um, so I think that's where I kind of started out was just like reaching out like, Hey, I want to shadow that orthopedic surgeon. Can I just go and watch him in clinic? And I shadowed Dr. Paul Thomas at the bone and joint clinic in Franklin, Tennessee. That was my first kind of experience to an orthopedic trauma or just orthopedic setting. And I still stay in touch with that man and um, he's still an influential person in my life. So it's just reaching out and saying, I want to look into that setting and I want to see what it's like. When I became an office manager, I had no experience 
being an office manager, had I experienced kind of quote being a leader? Yeah. I think as athletic trainers, when we're the athletic trainer at a high school setting, we're a leader because we're directing a lot of things, a lot of moving parts. Same thing with Sandy. Like when you're the athletic trainer performing arts, like you're there, you're, you're, you're kind of in charge of kind of like, can this athlete go? Can this athlete perform? You're, you're in a leadership type of role in that position. And I just asked questions and I just said, Hey, can I, um, and you know, I, I sent out an application to a an orthopedic clinic that I didn't know that they were looking for an, an opportunity for management and I got a phone call out of it. And so I've reached out, reached out, reached out. Um, when I was younger, I reached out to the Denver Nuggets, the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos. Those were the teams that, you know, everybody wanted to be a part of um, and nothing, nothing transpired. So I worked at an athletic club in Colorado, but that's still open doors for me. That's still open doors for, experience working with a personal trainer that works with the Broncos. So I got to see kind of how different things work. And to me, I just was, I was able to, I was blessed to be able to just kind of see a bunch of different settings. So I don't write a, in the, in my opinion, it's like, no matter what age you are, um, if you're male or female, if there's something that inspires you, I think just ask, see what people say, especially with athletic training, someone's going to know somebody or something or someplace that's looking, that's interested, that say, hey, why don't you reach out to them and see what they have? And all of a sudden, doors are just going to start opening. I know that um, some uh, athletic trainers have an OTC credential or certificate. Um, do you have one of those or do you know athletic trainers who have those that are beneficial in, in your setting? So I did have the or the OTC certificate. I had it um, when I was in Texas um, up until basically I got I moved to Colorado in 2012. Um, I let it expire because it just wasn't beneficial to me. I know there's that's kind of that that talk out there is these you know specialty certifications. I think when it comes to investigating and looking into that, I think you need to look at how's that going to benefit me. Does the hospital? Does the practice? Does the uh, employer recognize it? can we get it credentialed in a sense? So for my aspect, if I'm becoming an OTC, am I using it more for the casting aspect or the surgical aspect um, here at the hospital? The surgical aspect may not be beneficial to me because I think it would be harder for me to really get in and actually scrub and, and perform surgeries with the, the physicians. Whereas I can utilize that service as a, as a cast tech. Whereas do I need that now when I have so much experience that I can, I can move forward with that? I let it expire because it wasn't beneficial to me, but I think there's opportunities for other athletic trainers to look into those. And I know the NATA is pushing a little bit with these, you know, these specialty certifications. I think it just has to be one of those situations where you have to evaluate kind of the whole circle. Is it truly beneficial to me? Whereas with the OTC, when you submit CEUs, it's 120 CEUs over six years, but not every CEU that you obtain through the NATA can be transferred over and then you have to pay per CEU to be able to submit those. So does the cost outweigh the benefit? Does the benefit outweigh the cost? So I think when it comes to those situations, doing a little research, doing a little bit of legwork on those will be beneficial because each state, each institution recognizes things differently. All right. It is, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. It's kind of right there about the end. Sandy, do you have other questions specifically orthopedic trauma or physician practice related for Daniel? Your last one. Fantastic. All right. And so, Sandy, I am glad that you were able to join us and share some of your thoughts and questions. 
Daniel, I really appreciate the wisdom and the advice. Again, talking about the the life balance, the find what works for you, try all the different experiences. Um, and then if you want to reach out, then you can check out the athletic trainer physician practice setting or COPA, or you can email Daniel, which I have in here or on social media. He's ThunderDanATC. So where does Correct. that come from? <laughs> so I was uh, I was a huge fan of Dan Marley back in the day. And so when I was playing high school basketball, I think it was a, a freshman or sophomore in this seven foot basketball theme on, you know, was like, hey, I'm going to start calling you Thunder Dan because all you want to do is shoot threes. So Dan Marley was kind of my uh, kind of that guy that you looked up to for the Phoenix Suns uh, playing basketball. And it, it's just kind of stuck. And uh, and that that's kind of been my handle for a long time. So I've just kind of let it go. And when my kids were growing up and learning my name, they actually just started calling me Thunder Dan instead of Dan or dad. So <laughs> that kind of just stuck. <laughs> All right. It is definitely interesting to hear your kids call you Thunder Dan. Yeah. My uh, former coworker, his name was Bill Doc Hale. He was the first athletic trainer here in Pasadena ISD. And so like his wife uh, and kids, they would, or her kids, you know, he remarried remarried too, kind of thing, but they would call him Doc rather than Bill or Hale or anything like that. They just just called him Doc because that was what everybody called him. That's what stuck. So. Yep. And that's, he's, he's a well-known guy. I know, I know him. And it's one of those things where it's like those people kind of uh, stand out and kind of have that name for a reason and he's earned it. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely love uh, nicknames and, and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's one of those things that it's kind of funny when people bring that up, why do we call you Thunder Dan? And I'm like, nah, I'll tell you the story. <laughs> All right. So Thunder Dan on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, you can look for Daniel. It's R-U-E-D-E-M-A-N. You can look for Daniel Rudiman, or again, if you're looking at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash orthopedic trauma, I have a link to those. Sandy, the best way to get a hold of you, usually Instagram, right? Yeah, Instagram, it's really easy. Sandra the ATC, and that's also my Gmail, Sandra the ATC at gmail.com. All right, so you can get a hold of Sandy there, or the AT Corner podcast. Again, if you search for it anywhere, you're going to, you'll find it. I, I did a Google search and then. Google's pretty cool. It comes up with the actual podcast, like episodes right there is like the number two option. So you can find that there. Uh, if you want to reach out to them, I know recently, I think episode eight, I was on there talking about some of the weather stories I've had. And then as she was talking about some of the stuff that they have coming up, it's interesting. Like, like, Oh yeah, I could share about that too. So like we had a soccer girl who fractured her femur when she was by herself. So she just went to turn and kick the ball and boom, fractured the femur right there practice it was like in may so it was like end of the school year so boom now she has a rod on her legs oh yeah just craziness right so so it's really cool because they do share your stories on the a2 corner podcast so reach out to sandy or randy and maybe you can share some of your stories or just check them out and again if you want to be part of the uh, physician practice setting reach out to daniel like you said he does talks across the country if you're in a high school setting and you want to expose your students to different op- opportunities hit them up it can jump on a zoom call super easy um, or if you're in a college or even if you're in like a career transition setting something like that uh, speak to somebody who's been in there so again i have his email in there and sandy jeremy um so i, I mentioned some of the cool tools earlier so like if you're using mark pro you can use the the code DSMB. If you're going with Myotech, you can use the code DSMB. If you're using hoist hydration, again, it's I like it far better than Gatorade or any of the other power aids, anything like that. 
Again, using the SMB as a promo code, all those that'll help save you some money, get you some free stuff or something like that. So for Jeremy, Daniel Rudiman, Sandy Harris from the AG Corner podcast and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.